Welcome to Twice Born Podcast. I'm Mike Bailey. If you haven't already, please go to the website twiceborn.net and also you can see videos on YouTube and Facebook. And if you would like to reach out, please email twicebornministry at gmail.com. Enjoy. And uh, this, this past week, uh, we got back into track and field. Both my kids are in track and field. And uh, yesterday we had practice in the morning. Uh, if you guys ever want to come over at 8 o'clock in the morning and practice with us, you're more than welcome. <laughs> but at the practice, we did the four by one, which is four people doing 100 meter uh, races, and you pass a baton. And it, and it kind of reminded me back to when I was in high school. My freshman year, um, our team qualified for states. And in preparation for the 4x1 for states, we decided we were good enough we didn't need to practice because we were awesome. We were the best. We don't need to practice. We're good to go. And uh, we made it to the final heat of the 4x1 for the state. This is to, if you win this, you win the state's uh, title for the 4x1. And I was the freshman on the team. There were three seniors. I was the only freshman on the team. And I had the third, which is the corner that I had to run. And uh, I started to run. And I pushed my hand back to reach for the baton, and I couldn't grasp it, and it fell to the ground. And if you know track and field, if the baton hits the ground, you're disqualified. And you know what's not fun? When you're a freshman and there's three seniors, and you're the reason they lost the title in states for the four by one. Um, and you know what I learned? Practice is important. And you know, we're starting 2022. And none of us in this room knows what God's going to do in 2022. But if we start the right way and we put, put our focus in the right places at the beginning of the year, we will be ready whenever God shows up to do what he's going to do. I would be uh, even more embarrassed if God showed up this year and I wasn't ready because I didn't do what I was called to do, what I knew I should be doing to start out this year. And that's why it's so vitally important that we focus in on these things, not just as individuals, but as a church. Because if you're a believer in Christ this morning and you, you've trusted him, you've repented of your sin and you believed in him as your savior, then you're part of a body that's on a mission to share that gospel with the world. And it's the most important mission that there ever has been and ever will be. And so we need to take it extraordinarily seriously. So we want to get a good start to the year and we want to make sure that we're doing things the right way, God's way, so that we can fulfill the commission that he's given us to do. And one of the ways we talked about last week about doing that is preceding everything in prayer. And I hope that this week you preceded the day in prayer and, and any decision you make in life and, and really just throughout the day before you start new things, preceding those things with prayer. And really prayer is listening many times more than talking and, and saying, God, what would you have me do? Please give me wisdom. Please give me understanding. Please uh, encourage me or, or convict me in the areas that I need to know so that I can be faithful to you. And so we want to commit to preceding as a church preceding everything in prayer. Before this service, we met together and prayed together. Praying is essential and vital. Nothing of eternal significance happens outside of prayer. And so we're committed to preceding everything in prayer. And today we're going to talk about the church. What are we supposed to be doing as the church? What is the church supposed to be like? If you came here as a guest today and, and maybe you're searching out what it is to be a Christian or what it means to be a Jesus follower, I'm so happy you're here today because we're talking about the basics of what it is to be a follower of Christ. What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ, the church? What is the purpose of the church? 
What is our calling? What are we supposed to be doing? And as we live out the rest of this year, how do we do that faithfully as a church? And so we're going to look at that and ask the Lord to lead us into that. Now, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, so I told you last week, like, I mowed the church's lawn. I cleaned the bathrooms. I was in charge of a lot of things at church, so I understood the church, but I really didn't know the church. I knew about the church. I knew the building. I knew the people that gathered there, but I'm pretty sure if you would have asked me as a young man what I thought the church was, I would have told you the church is a place that we go to to maintain historical views. It's like a museum. It's a place people go to remember things that have happened in the past so we don't forget about them, but that's really all it is. And unfortunately, if you're like me, you can relate to that. That all church was or is, is just a place where you talk about things that happened hundreds or thousands of years ago and really isn't that relevant to today. And I believe that's, there couldn't be anything further from the truth. And I don't want every, anyone to walk away from this church ever thinking that we're a museum, that we're here to maintain historical things that happened a long time ago. We build on what has come before, but we don't live in the rearview mirror. We look to the forward where God is leading us because he's returning one day, and we're to prepare for that. We're preparing for his return. And so every moment of every day is, is a commitment to that. And so as we look to God's word and we ask him to speak to us, let's proceed that time with prayer and ask God to really speak to every one of us in this room in the only way he can. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for life. We, you are holy, you are just, you are righteous, and you are here, and you are with us. And Lord, even today, um, Lord, as, as we're on this planet that's going around the sun and, and the galaxy and the universe, all these things are happening because you're telling them to happen. You spoke all of this to an existence, um, and Lord, we're at this moment right now because you love us, and Lord, because we are joining in with what you started at the very beginning, and Lord, this, this is continuing on, and we're part of it. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak directly to us. Help us to understand what it means to be part of your church. Help us to understand what it means to follow you in obedience. Help us to understand what it means to rely on you for our security and our identity. And Lord, I pray that you would bless what you have given uh, Luke to write to us through the book of Acts, that it would penetrate our thoughts and our mind, that we would not be distracted, that there would be no walls built up around us, but Lord, you would be uh, able to access every part of our heart and every part of our thoughts as we come to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if this is the first Sunday with you, at the, we've begun a challenge, a 40-day challenge, that every week we're going to read a chapter together in the book of Acts. And this week, we've read the, the chapter number two in the book of Acts. And in your bulletin, there's a study guide that goes along with that. And you can follow with us as, as we really dive deep. Um, I don't believe and we don't believe that church is just Sunday morning where we sing some songs and we give an offering and we hear from God's word that that's part of it, but that's not the fullness of it. The fullness is every single day from Monday to Sunday, from Sunday to Sunday, that we're living in this walk with the Lord, that we're growing and maturing and becoming what we're supposed to be. And so commitment to God's word is essential in what it is to be a follower, a disciple of Christ. And so as we begin, we dive into Acts chapter 2, and here's what it says in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
So when you study God's word, it is vitally essential to know the context when you read and not to look over things. I would encourage you, when you read the Bible, have a journal, have your phone, have something you can take notes with. Uh, because for many of us here, we're told about this day of Pentecost, but I would assume that most of us don't know what that means. What is the day of Pentecost? What is Pentecost all about? And when you don't know what Pentecost is, it can be very, uh, you're going to miss a significant part of what is told to you as we continue on through the passage. And so to give you some context about Pentecost, Pentecost meaning 50 days following the event of Passover. Uh, it also includes a seven-week period from when Passover occurred to when Moses ascended to Mount Sinai to receive the tablets that God wrote with his own hands. We call them the Ten Commandments. And as Moses was on the, the mountain with God, he was experienced the fullness of God. God gave him the law. And as, as Moses made his way down the mountain, this is the time that Pentecost is celebrated. Now, for the Jews, they celebrate the fact that God has given them the law and that they've been given a harvest and there's a blessing in that. And so they celebrate it, calling it Pentecost, the day that God has blessed, the day that God has fulfilled his promise, the day that he has given a harvest and he has given the law. So this is what's taking place. There's a festival happening, a remembrance of this day. And it's interesting when you study this, if you go back to the account given in Exodus, Exodus chapter 32 tells us the story of what happened. It is very interesting. Exodus 32 verse 5, And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord, Pentecost. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Don't forget corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the front of the mountain. And he took the calf and the people that the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and scattered it into the water and made the Israelites drink it. And now we're going to skip down, but if you read the passage, I would encourage you to go back and read this passage. Moses has the camp gather together, and he says, those who are with us, those that are committed to the cause, those who are true followers of the one true God, join me. And they went through the camp, and they were told to kill everybody else because the law had been broken. And here's what we find, verses 19 through 20. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. 
And so Moses, he gets the law, and the law is showing us God's perfection. The law was given to us so we could see that we are not God. We fall very short of the glory of God. And he was bringing it down from the mountain, this experience with God, um, this overwhelming experience that Moses has with God. As he comes to the camp, Aaron had gotten the people, the one he trusted, had rounded up the people, and they'd made these false idols. And Moses was so upset that he took those very tablets that God had written on the Ten Commandments and he broke them. And then he called the people together and he had them melt down the gold and then he had it placed in the water and he had those that had been worshiping the false idol, they had him drink it. And as we look at this, we see the law brought death. The law brought death. At Pentecost... This celebration of the harvest, the law was given, and it brought death. Friends, today, there are many people who believe if they can obey the law enough, they'll be good enough that God will receive him to himself and that they'll find life. There are many people, many people who believe if I'm good enough, if I obey enough of the law, then I will find life in God. And unfortunately, what we find here is that the law brings death. That none of us, by our goodness, none of us, by obeying that law, can find life. And so there's a problem. There's something that needs to be dealt with. Uh, for God so loves the world that he gives his son because of the problem of death that has been brought by the law being broken. And that leads us to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, Peter's writing, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by, God deliberate, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, Put him to death by nailing him to the cross. At this moment, a crowd has joined around. They've met together. Pentecost has happened. We're told that a wind comes down like a flaming fire and, and people begin to speak in, in languages all around them of the people that are around them, tongues that they did not have naturally, tongues that were given to them by the Holy Spirit. And the people begin to ask questions. How can they speak to me in my language? How can they speak to me in ways I understand? And some of them say, oh, they must be drunk. And Peter says, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not, we haven't drank anything. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit has filled us this way to tell you. This man named Christ Jesus who came from heaven, who is God made flesh, lived a perfect life. And men and women like you and me put him on a cross. Men and women like you and me. You know, I think sometimes we set aside Easter as the time that we really consider the cross. I think there's a reason Jesus has us um, celebrate communion regularly so that we can consider the, the weight of the cross. My sin, Michael, Peter, Bailey's sin, put Jesus on the cross. The sin of my life 
Every day I've said no to God and yes to me. Every time I've said, God, your way is not best, my way is best. Every time I've denied Christ as my Lord by the decisions I make, by the thoughts that I have, by the actions that come from me, that is what put Christ on the cross. And here's a group of people from all over the world that have gathered here in Jerusalem, speaking all these different languages, representing all these different cultures. And and Peter is saying to them, you and I are the ones who put Jesus on the cross. We all must take ownership. We all must recognize our sin. It's not until we recognize our sin can we be freed from it. And so you and I, we cannot just look at them and judge them or, or look at them and say, well, that was a different time, a different place. No, it is us today, right now. Do we recognize what our sin cost? Do we recognize what Christ took on behalf of all of us? We all had a hand in it. We were all involved. This is amazing. If you look at verse 23, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They recognized their lostness. They recognized their sin. And their response was not pride. It wasn't, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as that person over there. I've done a lot of good things. I'm not as bad as you say I am. They didn't get defensive. They didn't come up with reasons why not. They said, what shall we do? We understand this. We understand that our sin has separated us. We understand the weight of what has happened. Is there anything we can do? I would encourage you, this is the greatest response any of us can have. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts us, the greatest response we can have is, what shall we do? What shall I do? We should pray for the conviction of sin upon ourselves and those around us so that we can be brought into repentance. They ask the right question. And so God gives them the answer. God gives them a clear answer through Peter. Suddenly a sound like a blowing or a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. And there they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, what separated and came to rest on each of them. And this was Pentecost. This is when the church was born. We are in this room. I am speaking to you because of this moment. There are groups of people all over this planet that are meeting like we're meeting. Some in homes, some in caves, some in rooms like this, some in very fancy buildings, some in not so fancy buildings, some in schools, some in movie theaters. All over the planet, people are meeting because this moment took place and Christ ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came to earth and something began that has not stopped for 2,000 years. And we're in it. You and I are in it. We are part of this amazing event that was for all nations. Think about it. The first thing the church does is speak to every type of person. Every tongue. The the languages were already divided. The mission was already clear. It's not just for you Jews. It's not just for you Greeks. It's for every tribe, tongue, and nation of the earth. And so when we talk about the mission, we talk about the world. 
The world is the mission. Every tribe, tongue, language, nationality is the mission. That the gospel would be spread. And he gave them these tongues not for their own edification, but for the edification of God. That people would hear and know the truth of how he had died and rose again. That the gospel has set them free from death and sin. And so Jesus, Peter replied to them with this question of what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This morning, this morning, you've come here. I don't know if you grew up in the church, or I, this may be the first time you've ever been in a church. I don't know. But let me encourage you with this. One of the proofs that you have been saved is that you have an awareness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because what we're told right here is if you repent and you're baptized, that the Holy Spirit will be given to you. It is not a maybe. It's not a sort of. It is a definite commitment that this is what happens. And so today, if you're wondering, am I saved? Am I saved? Have you sensed the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Does he convict you of sin? Does he encourage you to keep going? Does he give you guidance and direction? Are his fruit evident in your life? Do you see that you're a kinder person? You're a more patient person? That, that through the years you're maturing in all of these areas of, of holiness? That the fruit that is given us in Galatians is being evident in your life? Because these are the signs that you have been saved, set free, and now you are a disciple of the one true God. Hallelujah. Amen. And so this is the mission, this is the message, is to share this so that we can have genuine conversions to Christ, genuine belief in Christ, genuine salvation, that men and women would come to Christ and that it wouldn't just be things they know about in their mind, but an experience of knowing God in their heart, that they can share their testimony becomes powerful, authentic, compelling, and transforming of those around them. And so, do you have that proof of salvation in your life? Do you have an awareness of the Holy Spirit moving? Even now, when you read his words, he stirs your heart. He speaks to you in new ways. He reveals things that you didn't know before. He gives you a peace that passes all understanding. He gives you a joy the world cannot give you. He gives you a knowledge the world does not have. When you have it, you know that you have it. It is greater than anything else. There's nothing like it. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the great comforter. It's amazing. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Do you know who the far off are? You and me. We are the far off. We're about as far from where Peter said this as you can be. And we're hearing this message even now that came from his lips through the Holy Spirit. For all whom the Lord will call... With many other words, he warned them and pleaded them, save yourself from what? This corrupt generation. Do you remember where we read corrupt before? If you go back to Exodus, the corruption that took place because they couldn't wait for Moses to come back down with the law, that they had become corrupt. And yet we see that same term here. And look what it says. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Do you realize Moses came down with the law and it broke them because it brought death. 
The Holy Spirit came into the world and started the church that shed grace of Christ to the world. And grace brought life. And 3,000 died under the law. 3,000 were made alive at Pentecost through the Holy Spirit, through grace. The Old Testament and the New Testament are tied tightly together. The Old Testament is a a mystery kept. The New Testament is a mystery revealed. The mystery of what Moses was doing, the mystery of the law was revealed. This is the message the world needs to hear. They need to hear it, and the Holy Spirit will help them understand it. And their kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and the people that we see that will come here from all over the world for a race will find out what life truly is about. Let's be committed like they were. Look what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Every Sunday you come here, we go through our bulletin. Every Sunday we try to share with you that there are five things that we're going to try to do. Why? Because this is what the church did at its very conception. These are the five things the church was focused on from the very beginning. They worshiped together. They sang songs together. They sang songs to the Lord because really that's what we're doing in heaven. He loves to hear the songs of his people. We want to worship him, but singing isn't the only way to worship. We worship in so many different ways. In spirit and truth, our lives become instruments of worship. And so we're dedicated to worship just like they were dedicated to worshiping God. They were dedicated to fellowship. We miss that sometimes. They got together at each other's houses and had meals together, and they did things together. Why? To build deep, meaningful, authentic, powerful relationships. They became friends. They knew each other's lives. They knew what to pray for. They knew about the cancer. They knew about the money problems. They knew about the children problems. They knew about the job problems. Why? Because they lived together, and they built deep, meaningful, powerful relationships with each other. And so we as a church want to follow that model and say, we need to fellowship with each other. We need to get together and eat chili together and vote on it. <laughs> we need to get together and do things that bind our hearts together. I grew up in a, in a church where many people never knew the people that were sitting next to them. They didn't know one thing. They couldn't pray for them because they don't even know their name. That's not what the church is. It's not a building with seats. It's not a performance of a pastor and a music person. That is not church. And you may have been told that, but that is a lie. Church is a movement of people that want to share the gospel. Church is a group of people that are disciples who are making disciples of all generations. This is what the culture needs to hear from us. This is what your family needs to hear. The church isn't just a Sunday morning performance or a place to attend. It's a place to worship you with your heart. It's a place to fellowship and build relationships with others. It's a place to be discipled where we're going to meet in rooms and we're going to read this word and we're going to talk to each other about it and the Holy Spirit's going to reveal his truth and we're going to grow. And you know what we're going to grow into? The likeness of Christ. So we have to be committed to this. We have to be committed to each other. Look what it continues to say in verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God 
and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look what God did. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so first, there's at least 3,000 added to this group of people that was the first church. And now we see at least 365 because every single day, someone was coming to know Christ as their Savior and joining this family. And guess what? It didn't matter if they were Greek. It didn't matter if they were Egyptian. It didn't matter if they were African. It didn't matter if they're European. You're part of the church. And you don't get right and come to church. You come to church and Christ gets you right. That's how it works. That's discipleship. Discipleship is the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of man-made ways and laws and, and organizations. And we have to be careful. And so that leads us to our, our final two things that we focus in on, ministry and missions. Tuesday and Thursday, you can come here and we're going to serve the community because it's a ministry of the church. We're going to give them food in the name of Christ. We're going to give them clothes in the name of Christ. We're going to serve people however we can. We're part of a, 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 an organization that does a care portal where we actually took a bed to people that needed a bed because we're doing it in the name of Christ. It's a ministry of the church. We need to be actively serving. Do you realize in December we had over 300 people that came through here that were served in the name of Christ? What a blessing to be part of a family that's committed to ministry. It's part of what we're called to do as a church. We're not to be hearers of the word only. If we get excited today and do nothing, then we've actually cursed ourselves. We need to go and do and be. Our lives have to be committed to this. Some of you say, well, I'm at the end of, I'm at the end of my journey. No, you're at the beginning of your journey. Your journey is eternal. There is no such thing as retirement in the Christian walk. That just means you stop doing your worldly work, and now you can do some heavenly work. And you can commit the rest of your life to that. And you don't have those restraints that many people have because they can't put the time into doing the ministry that they'd like to be doing. And guess what? There's a ministry that every single one of us can do, whether you're bedridden or not, and that is the ministry of prayer. And prayer is the most powerful ministry. So to do the most powerful ministry doesn't take any physical ability. Let's be committed. Let's be a real church. Let's begin the year knowing what it is to be a church and knowing what that mission is so that we can do it every day of our lives, together, unified, sharing this mission with others. You want to be part of a church that's doing this? Then join us. Because we're going to do this until Christ returns. We're going to be faithful not unfaithful. We don't want him showing up and we weren't ready for his return. We don't want him showing up and saying, oh, we were waiting for you to come so we did nothing. We want to be busy doing the Father's work as we prepare for his return. So what are we going to be doing? First, I have to be a disciple. I cannot make a disciple until I am a disciple. So you and I, we need to get saved. If you're not saved, get saved today. Confess, believe, and be baptized. And once that has happened... That's not the end of the road. That's the beginning. That's like being born and then doing nothing with the rest of your life. Now the real life begins. You need to start eating. You need to start exercising. You need to start eating the word of God. You need to be start talking to your heavenly father through prayer. And you need to start serving so you can build some spiritual muscle. Serving people. Serving each other. Giving of your time and your energy for the benefit of others. And then you get stronger. And every year you get a little stronger. And guess what? There's no ceiling on this kind of strength. Your, this body will never deteriorate. You get stronger and stronger until the Lord comes back and he finds you worthy. He finds you doing as he called you to do. And that is our mission. That is our calling. And so if we want to start this year the right way, then this is what we got to do. 
This is who we got to be. If someone comes to this church, this group of people that are committed to the, the mission of God, they should sense this. They should know this is not just talk, but this is who we are. And this is what we're to do. So how do we do that? How do we actually apply it? What is the next step? First, every one of us in this room needs to make sure that we don't have any unconfessed sin in our life. Confession. You know, our, we, our sin has been taken care of, but we can still fall into problems with sin in our lives. We as followers of Christ, we can do something called quenching the Holy Spirit. We can let sin in so the Holy Spirit can't do his full work within us. He can't use us because there's sin in us. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to, to get that sin out of our hearts, out of our minds, out of our lives. So we need to confess it and hand it over to him. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there bitterness, anger that you're holding on to? Is there something that you refuse to give to the Holy Spirit this morning? You need to hand it over to him. You need to confess it and trust him with it. And then once you've confessed that sin, you don't want to leave that empty. You ask the Holy Spirit to fill you every day, that every thought would be his thought, that you invite the Holy Spirit into every thought you have and every action. Have you ever done that? Have you ever intentionally said, Holy Spirit, I give you authority in my thoughts right now. I give you authority in my actions. If you have those thoughts that are wicked and evil, you say, thoughts, uh, I'm inviting the Holy Spirit in. you got to leave because you both can't be here. When you feel anger towards someone, you say, Holy Spirit, I need you involved in my thinking about this relationship. When you have issues in life, Holy Spirit, I need you involved in my thoughts about my, my finances, about my health, about my family life. Whatever it is, you invite the Holy Spirit in. And when you don't say anything and you don't think anything, guess what? That's as good as keeping him out. Because if you just say, I'm, I'm going to deal with it myself, I'm, I'm not going to go that route, I'll force myself to do good. None of us can do it without the power of the Holy Spirit leading us and, and really providing for us. And once you have made this commitment, devote yourself to spiritual growth. The identity of the first church was they are devoted. People knew what they cared about. People knew what was important to them. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to worship. They were devoted to discipleship. How do you know if you're devoted to something? Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. That'll show you what you're devoted to. What we say, we're, all of us, me included, are good at talking a good talk. But what really matters is my calendar and my checkbook. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How do I spend my gifts? How do I spend my knowledge? How do I spend it? Because you get some of it, and one day you're going to turn this life in. What did you spend it on? Jesus will... When we meet God, it will be, what did you do with my son and what did you do with the life that I gave you? Devote yourself to spiritual growth. Commit to the church community. We need you here. When you're not here, you're missed. We miss you. When you're part of us, we want you to be here. We want to give everyone an opportunity to serve exactly the way God created you to serve. I don't want you to come to this church and see it as a burden. I don't want you to come here and do things that you hate doing. I've heard this too many times in my ministry career. I did, they made me do something I hated to do, and I didn't like being there. Do you know that God has created you on purpose to be here with a plan? And whatever you, when you figure that out, when you figure out where he wants you, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It doesn't mean you're going to like everything you do. Sometimes you've got to sacrifice and do things you don't like to do. But there's also going to be times you love what you're doing. 
You love working with the kids. You love working with a Bible study. You love leading music. You love sharing the good news. You, there's so many. You love helping out in whatever area. But that is a specific thing that God made you on purpose with those attributes. Our goal is to help you find those so that you love being part of the body of Christ. You look forward to serving together with others. This isn't a burden. This isn't done out of guilt. This isn't something you feel like you have to do so that you feel good about yourself. That this is something that's who you are and you love it. It's part of your identity. And then finally, what do you need to write down? Sometimes you just need to write down, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I'm going to stop being angry about this and then write down whatever this is. Keep a journal. I give this to you, God, and then write exactly what it is. You know that God wrote the Ten Commandments with his handwriting? He wants us to be serious. He wants us to take our lives seriously. Saying it, so there's one thing about thinking it, but there's another thing about saying it, and there's even more about writing it. God has given us the beautiful gift of language and the ability to record that language. Let us not miss the gift that we've been given. And then finally, what do you need to share? You know, we've talked about we're not called to be lawyers for Christ. We're not called to be judges for Christ. We're called to be witnesses. What have you witnessed what is your testimony? What is God doing in your life that you need to share with others so they can be encouraged? Because you know there's a lot of people going through the same thing you're going through, and they're looking for hope. And maybe God allowed you to go through it so you could find victory, so you could be the hope that they're looking for. Because in you, Christ has revealed the hope of life.